my husband tonight leaned over to me. <laughs> and he said to me, I really like that outfit. And something about where'd you get it or something. I said, well, I got this at a place called Forever 21. He looked at me and goes, times three. <laughs> He's so funny. This man has me in stitches. Got up and slammed me in the back of the head as he came up here to do the offering. I thought, this night's really going the wrong direction. We better start over. Hallelujah. Well, tonight we're going to continue uh, with the message. Um, this is message number four, as it turns out now, on the revelation of the cross. Everybody say, revelation, revelation. of the cross. And tonight, it's the privilege of his presence. And uh, I just want to share with you a little bit. You know, as um, a Christian growing up, I, I was in church. I knew who Jesus was, but I really uh, never received him as my Lord and Savior until after I had gone through two divorces, had wrecked my life, made a mess of everything. And in that desperate moment of uh, wanting to take my life, I found the Lord. Everybody say, thank God. <laughs> thank God for his mercy. And so uh, I never really experienced uh, what it meant to be in his presence other than whenever I would be involved, when I would play the organ in the church or I'd lead the choirs, there was something on the inside of me that would just be like a just a drawing or a, a burning desire inside of me. And I never knew what it was. I would get very excited when we get ready to sing. It was like, I could feel this something on the inside that I didn't know what to do with. And I believe it was that hunger that's on the inside of every person for Jesus. People hunger for Jesus. They don't know what they're hungry for, but, but they're looking for the spirit of God. And, you know, we have the privilege as believers to every day, 24 seven live in his presence. And that to me is amazing. We, we are never disconnected from the living God. Now there may be times when we're places where we wish he wasn't with us. You know, that may not be you tonight, but how many of you have ever been somewhere where you think, wow, don't know if the Lord would want to be here. Hallelujah. But he's always there. He's always with us. He's in us. By the very power of his spirit. So tonight as we listen to this and, and we read the word of God, um, I just believe God's going to show us what a wonderful gift we have in that we can live every day in the presence of God. We're never separated from him. He will never leave us or forsake us. And what that means for us. And if you look at Exodus thirty three fourteen, and you want to turn there if you, if you have your Bible. If not, we'll put the words up on the screen for most of the scriptures we're going to go over tonight. So you can look at the word of God. But um, I love this text because, you know, Moses uh, really was called by God from a burning bush. You know, that was his first experience of really hearing God speak to him in his life. And uh, he experienced a lot of opportunities to hear from the Lord. But the children of Israel, when he began to lead them out of Egypt and got them into that place called the wilderness and was trying to get them to go to the promised land, he began to experience all kinds of things with those people. And we talked last week about how at some point he and God would have a little wrestling match over there. Your people. No, they're not my people. They're your people. I don't even want to claim these people. And God, you know, was saying, you know, they're your people. You, you let them out here. And, you know, this is right after this chapter is right after those uh, young people in the Lord. I mean, this was the first they traveled with God, not maybe young in age, but they were young in their experience with God. They got out in that wilderness and they made a decision because they couldn't find Moses for a few days. Just a few days. I mean, it was gone 40, but they couldn't find him. They thought he had deserted them. So they decided to get another God, just like that, 
to find another God. And, you know, we can say, boy, I don't know how they could be so foolish as to do that. But I think it's very easy when we're really trying to make our way. And have, have you ever felt like, where did God go? Where is God? But if you know the truth of the word, he's with us. But in experience, in the things that we see and we feel, we may not have that uh, that feeling of his presence at that moment. And they didn't. So they, they got this calf. Uh, Aaron said it just popped out of the fire when they threw their gold in. We all know that that wasn't true. It says he formed the calf. You know, so, I mean, he was responsible. And he was number two man at this point to Moses. And so, you know, after all of this has gone on, God is hot hot with anger against what they've done, sends Moses down and says, you know, I'm not even going to walk with, I'm not even going to go with them. But by, by chapter 33, Moses begins to plead with God. And he says in verse 12, that Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses was always looking for somebody to go with him. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you. Everybody say, know you. And that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And God said to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Well, that that was a relief to Moses, but he wanted more. Everybody say he wanted more. Then he said, if your presence does not go up with us, do not bring us up from here. He was a wise man. If they did not have the presence of God, they had no hope. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you've spoken. For you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness. He called his goodness the answer would be to Moses asking for glory. He said, I'll show you all my goodness. Make it pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. Everybody say he couldn't see his face. For no man shall see my face and live. Shall see me and live. The Lord said, here is the place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be when my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand. While I pass by, and then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see, shall not be seen. You know, and we know that Moses was in God's presence a lot. But, you know, it was a cloud. It was, you know, a cloud would descend on the mountain. We know Moses was with God, but he did not get to see God face to face. And and I want you to turn with me to... Um, Exodus 19, and I want to explain this a little bit further to you because it'll help you appreciate what you have today in the fact that we have the opportunity to actually see God face to face. We live in his presence. He is with us all the time. And this is, this is the beginning of the children of Israel's walk with God uh, after they came out of Egypt. And it's Israel uh, at Mount Sinai, and God speaks to them in Exodus 19.5. This is 
the, the first generation that came out of Egypt, the children of Israel. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And so Moses did. He spoke those to the children of Israel. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, in verse 9, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear. Everybody say hear. Now they could hear. He was going to allow them to hear him when he would speak to Moses. And then they'll believe you forever. In other words, he was going to establish that God spoke to Moses to all the people. And it says in verse 12, you shall set bounds. Everybody say set bounds. Now those are boundaries. That, that means there's going to be an area where the children of Israel are going to be prohibited from coming near to God. They could not do that. They couldn't come near to him. And we'll see why in a second. It says, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. And you may say, wow. You know, that's pretty strong. What it was was the result of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Once they took part, partook of that fruit in the garden, God had to set them out of his presence. These were his children. He basically had to lock them out of his presence because now they had entered into a realm where sin and, and, and evil now had dominion instead of him. But when sin touches glory, sin is destroyed. And so what happened to them, they were separated from God. And so that sinful nature became part of who they were. And so God in his mercy, everybody say in his mercy, he separated them from himself. In other words, he put them out. He sealed the, the gate so that, and put an angel there to guard the gate that they could never come back into his presence. Everybody say into his presence. And so this is just the manifestation of that. Although God wants them to know he's real. So he says to Moses, bring him to the mountain, and I will reveal myself to them. They will hear my voice. But this was the revel This is how he revealed himself. It says on, in verse 17, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, don't you suppose they're all excited? You know, they're going to get to hear from God. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Now, the people were in such a state that they finally say, as it goes on, and it talks about this particular incident in, in Exodus 20, it says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. So their encounter with God was fire, smoke, lightning and a loud voice and that was the god that that they were serving so they said you know what maybe it's best why don't you talk to him and then you come tell us whatever he said well that was god's plan anyway but what god did was he showed them his awesomeness he revealed to them that he was real and that he was their god and they were his special treasure however they couldn't be in his presence 
They still couldn't be in his presence. And so even through all of the sacrifices that they made, even through all the blood that was shed for, for all of the sin and the burnt offering, all the different offerings that had to take place just for them to be forgiven of, of situations, and that only temporary. Everybody say temporary. They still could not be in the presence of a living God. Now, that's the whole old covenant. That's all the way to the end of Malachi. That's old covenant. That is exactly why Jesus came to stop that from ever happening again for God's people. So that God could once again be in fellowship with his people. Turn here and say, thank God for Jesus. See, that's why we took, when we take communion, it's exciting. Because because of the blood, because of his body being broken for us, it opened the door for us to live in the very presence of a living God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now turn to Hebrews. We've been looking at Hebrews a lot. And when you want to study what you have, you need to study the new covenant. Now you may be here and say, well, why do we have both covenants? Because the old covenant shows us the grace and mercy of God that was extended to us by the new covenant. In other words, this is the way we used to have to live, but this is the way we get to live now. It's kind of like when I grew up in our basement, we had a ringer washer and a mangle. And that's what it did. It mangled your clothes. Hallelujah. But it was supposed to be a, a form, a system of ironing, you know. But, but it was called a mangle, rightfully so. The thing just mangled. If you didn't out-operate that dude, you would have came out with more wrinkles than you had when you came out of the wash. And so we don't live like that anymore. Now, there was, that was, had a purpose. It served a purpose when I was young. But now... At the age I am now, thank God for a washing machine that I push a few buttons and they're getting smarter by the day. My daughter has one that looks like the cockpit of an airplane. And I'm telling you, that thing does everything you ever thought of to do. It's so complicated, you can't even, you know, figure it all out. You need a manual, a big, thick manual. Hallelujah. So, but things change. Everybody say things change. And so there's a difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And the difference was made by the blood of Jesus, and we need to live in the new. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need to live in the new. Now, I want to show you how this works. If you'll go to Hebrews chapter 10, which is where we've been a lot of the time, and let's look at verse 19, and then I want to show you something. Therefore, brethren and sisters, having boldness, everybody say boldness, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, why do we get a new and living way? Because of the blood of Jesus. Everybody say, because of the blood. But I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. I never understood any of this till I understood covenant. But this is very exciting. It says in verse 18 of Hebrews 12, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire to blackness and darkness and temptus and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. You've not come to that mountain. Everybody say, that's not my mountain. That's not your mountain. You haven't come to a place in your life Right now, you have not come to that. In the new covenant, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. What was Mount Zion? The place of God's presence. 
So you have come to the place of God's presence and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator. Everybody say mediator. What that means is he is like the bridge between you and God. And when it passes from you to God, it goes through the blood. It goes through the blood, and the blood is what now allows us to live in the presence of God. So we're not, we're not like the old bunch in the old covenant. Now, I'm going to show you something tonight. I believe it will be a revelation to you. It was to me. How many of you have ever been in, in, a, in maybe a situation where you've heard somebody say, there's, no, there's none righteous? No, not one. Have you heard that? End. Period. That's Old Covenant. Everybody say, that's Old Covenant. Read Romans. It goes on and says, but we are righteous. What's that? New Covenant. Amen? And so when people begin to use the Old Covenant to try to justify a stand when it's supposed to be the New Covenant, which Jesus' blood was shed for, then we are going back to something that God says has been replaced. It has been fulfilled because the whole old covenant points to the Messiah. Read all the chapters. You will hear Jesus prophesied through the whole covenant, old covenant. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 3, once Adam and Eve sinned, immediately God began to prophesy that one would come that would change the whole situation. And that would be Jesus Christ. And so once we are born again, we need to know the new covenant. We need to know the new covenant. We need to read it. We need to understand it. Now, the good news is... If you read the Old Covenant, once you've understood the New, you say, thank God I didn't live then. We would have been in trouble. I mean, this would be a bloody place tonight. All of you would have had to brought something. And then we would have had to have a sacrifice. That would be Pastor John. (laughs) Hallelujah, we'd have had him doing that. And Corey. Can you see Pastor John trying to sacrifice all of that? The blood goes here. You know, the fat goes here. Corey, the skin, take it outside. It goes somewhere out in the back alley. You know, I mean, it would have been, thank God we're in this generation. Amen? Now, this is important because God has made a way for us where there was no way. And we are the people who God has made the way for. Now, along with that comes great responsibility, which we're going to talk about next week. But tonight, I want you to recognize, listen, I am really living In a great covenant. Because Jesus paid the price. And I enjoy the fruit. I enjoy what God prepared. It says that we don't do that. We come to the mountain. We come to the place of God's presence. To Mount Zion. Now I want you to look with me at uh, Matthew 27, 51. And um, this was a, a verse that never made any sense to me when I was growing up. And I would hear people preach it sometimes at Easter. And it was, it's Matthew 27, 51. It's Jesus. Uh, he's, he's about to, to die on the cross. And uh, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it says in verse 51, well, in 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil. Everybody say the veil. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earthquake and the rocks split. Now we just read in Hebrews Let me go back there just for a second in Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, 
we enter by the new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil. So there's the word veil. Here's the word veil. Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Now, I didn't ever understand what, what veil. I mean, there wasn't a veil over the cross. I, I couldn't figure what that veil was. But once you understand covenant and you begin to study covenant, I want, you to, I want to read to you from Exodus 26. In the, in the old covenant, um, the church, so to speak, was just a tabernacle. And there was an outer court. And there was an inner court. And inside the inner court were two places. The holy place and the most holy place. Everybody say most holy. Now, in the most holy place was the place where God's presence would come when the high priest once a year would make atonement for the sins of the people. Today, it's known as Yom Kippur. And that veil was a, a piece of fabric that separated that inner court and divided into two places. That veil was woven in such a way that it could not be torn. Isn't God amazing? I mean, he designed this whole thing. It says he picked people to put it all together. And it says this veil, you shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang up on four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasp. Then you shall bring the ark of testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider. Everybody say a divider. A separation, if you will. It was the thing that separated the people from God. Okay? Now, the only people, person, who could go in there was the high priest. But it was a definite separation, and it could not be torn. It was woven in such a way that you could not tear it in the natural. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat. Everybody say mercy seat. Upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Now, all of that was symbolic of what Christ did on Calvary. And when the veil was rent, what happened was God opened the door. And he said to all who would receive Christ, come on in. Come on in. Now, this is very important because once you recognize, you mean God wants me to come in and talk with him? Yes, he does. Turn to your neighbor and say, what a surprise. Now, you may be thinking, he won't want to talk to me. Yes, he will because of the blood. See, when he sees you, he sees the blood. He sees what Christ did. Everybody say, thank God. Thank God. And so when, when, when we get a real revelation of the cross, when we celebrate Easter, my goodness, we have something to celebrate. When we take communion... We have something to celebrate because of the blood of Jesus. We are here tonight. And the only word we have to know is repent. And you notice some in the church, that's like an evil word. That is the best word you could ever hear. Because that means somebody has made a way for you when you make a mistake to just repent. And immediately, everybody say immediately, immediately have that fellowship back with a living God. Now, righteousness is established through receiving Jesus Christ. But how many of you know when you're not doing the right thing, God is like, where'd you go? Because fellowship is broken. Because we walk away from the presence of God at least acknowledging it. In other words, we, we put him over here and we go do what we want. But then when we repent, isn't it like you could just feel him pick you right up again? 
How many of you have ever been like, you know, done the wrong thing? I've done this. Probably you guys haven't, but I have. And, you know, how many of you tried to make excuses for why you're there? And none of that does any good. There's no peace. There's no, no uh, satisfaction until you say, God, I repent. And immediately. It's like he gives you a big hug and says, it's okay. Try again. Try again. I had him tell me once. I said, God, do you know how many times I've missed it? He said, yes. <laughs> I've missed it for the same thing. And he said, just repent, and I'll take you back up, and you can try again. See, God is not concerned about the fact that we're going to make mistakes. He knew that. That's why Jesus shed his blood. The key is that we recognize that. And we recognize that to be out of his presence is to be in such danger that we never want to go there. We keep ourselves connected in that way where we understand his presence. So we live in this new way. The veil has been rent. Now I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. And uh, this, this is just a, a great... Uh, scripture to read to understand the difference between the old and the new and it's Paul writing and uh, and and this is I just pray that you'll get the revelation this is the first time I traveled overseas I went to Europe and uh, God gave me this revelation of the veil and I took a wedding veil and I took it with me and I and I talked about how you know when the bride comes down the aisle and in in the past a lot of times they'd wear a veil over their face and you know that veil wouldn't be lifted until those vows were made. And once the vows were made and it was time to kiss your bride, the veil would be lifted and the, the man would kiss the bride. And what that was was it was the sealing of the covenant that had just been made uh, in, in, there in that ceremony. And, and so when that, when that veil was lifted, then they became one. They, they came together. And it's the same. When you receive Christ, the veil is lifted and you become one. With God, you are part of his family. He's part of you. You're part of him. You're a child of the living God. And the veil is lifted. And, you know, when I gave that analogy in Europe, those young women got that. They got that. They understood that. And Jesus became more real to them. I want you to read it. It's right here in Second Corinthians. Let's start with verse 5. Or let's start with 4. This is Paul speaking. And we have such trust through Jesus Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Everybody say, new covenant. Not of the letter, which would be the old covenant, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. See, the old covenant gave all of the rules, but gave no way of escape. And so it's called the law of sin and death because there was no hope. But the law of life and love and liberty is the new covenant. And that's what he's saying. The spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, even the old covenant, written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? In other words, if the old covenant, the glory was attached to because they saw it every time Moses met with God, whether he saw him face to face, he was in his presence. Everybody say in his presence. And his whole face shone so that they would want him to put a veil over his face because it was so bright when he looked at him. The light, you know, that he had been in by being in the presence of God. For the ministry of condemnation had glory. What's the ministry of condemnation? The old covenant. 
Because all the old covenant could do would be accuse people of their sin, but could not give them a way of escape. And that's condemnation. And that's why it says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. The old covenant could only walk after flesh. The new covenant people can walk after the spirit because the spirit of God lives in us. Are you getting this? Hallelujah. Okay. Because it's so important. It will give you the confidence to know that God is with you. And then it says, for even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. In other words, the old covenant was glorious, but what remains, the new covenant, is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, turn to your neighbor and say, we do have hope. We use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, listen to this, until this day, Paul's saying right up until now, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. Are you getting this? So when you read the old covenant and you read about God and you read about all that happened in the old covenant, understand this. There was a veil. Nobody could touch the hem of the garment. When Christ died, the veil was taken away. And that's why this new covenant is a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of mercy. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with performance. It has nothing to do with the flesh. It has to do with what happened in the spirit. And because of what Jesus did, it says, but even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, everybody say, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You know what that means? The word of God comes alive. Amen. Isn't it true? Once you receive Christ, it's like, well, I never saw that before. I didn't get that. And, you know, when I was growing up, all I thought of was God was just had a hammer. And, I mean, you, you, you goof, you get it. Hallelujah. It's just that simple. But I never knew the new covenant. I knew Jesus was the Son of God, but I had no revelation of a new covenant. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is their liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, turn to your neighbor and say, thank God the veil's off. If you know Jesus tonight, you have an unveiled face. Beholding as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Everybody say face to face from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. You know, in Hebrews, it says in chapter four, verse 16, seeing then that we have a high priest who is acquainted with the things that we're acquainted with, with the temptations and the things that we see yet without sin, let us come boldly. Everybody say boldly. Do you remember that verse where it says, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. It's said in Hebrews that we come with boldness in the new and living way. If you read the book of Acts, what's one word that you hear a lot in the book of Acts? Boldness. Everybody say boldness. You know where the boldness comes from? The fact that Jesus did it. Not us. And that gives boldness to our faith. That gives boldness to who we are as believers. Not in our ability, but in his grace and mercy. It's, it's who he made us to be. Now, if you look at 1 Peter 2, 
And, and remember back in Exodus, while you're turning there, let me remind you what we read earlier. It said, God said about his people in first in uh, Exodus 19, he said, you're a special treasure to me, a chosen people, a holy people that I've called and set apart. That was the Jews because the old covenant was strictly to the Jews. The Gentiles, that's us, unless you're Jewish here and you're a Messianic Jew. The Gentiles did not get to be part of what was going on until after Jesus died. And when Paul was the one who brought the news to the Gentiles that they could receive Christ. And it was due a lot to the rejection of the Jews of Jesus because they didn't receive him. And so God opened the door to the Gentiles. And it says we're engrafted in. Everybody say engrafted in. But however you get in, it's good to be in. Hallelujah. It says we're adopted. How many of you know young people who are adopted are grateful for the people who took them in? God took us in. But when he took us in, this is what Paul or Peter says in the book of, of First Peter. Uh, we're looking at chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. Aren't those kind of like the words we heard over in Exodus? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light into his marvelous light who once were not a people in other words you were not god's people but are now the people of god who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy turn your neighbor say this is great news (laughs) see when you when you understand the revelation of the cross it's exciting to go to church it's exciting to be a part of what god's doing because i'm thankful for mercy you know, you may be here tonight and say, you know, I, I really haven't needed a whole lot. I needed more. I needed yours and mine. So praise God. Hallelujah. I'll take all of it. All of it. But then he goes on. He says, beloved, I beg you as sojourners. Everybody say sojourners. And pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Everybody say Gentiles. So what he's talking about here is that we are this special people, but we want to live an honorable life. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, we're supposed to look like the church. Everybody say, look like the church. Like those special people. Like those people that God has brought about for such a time as this. Now, I want to I give you another scripture because this is important tonight. If you know Jesus, you are in the earth, but you are not of the earth. You are in the earth. But you are not of the earth. Jesus said it in John chapter 17. God, he asked God to take care of the disciples. And he said, because they are like me. They are in the world, but they're not of the world. And I want to show this to you tonight because as a chosen generation, as a royal people, a holy nation, we have been set apart. We talked about that last week. Sanctified means to be set apart. We are set apart and we are different. We are different than other people. Now, I know people have said that about you, but, and they've said that about me, but we really are supposed to be different. It says in Philippians 3, for our citizenship, everybody say citizenship, is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, let me find it here, Ephesians chapter two nineteen, it says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers 
you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, I know this sounds unbelievable, but you will never die. Spiritually, you will never die. Because you already are a citizen of heaven. Living on earth. It's the word. And so the benefits of what God provided through Jesus Christ. It's not about when we all get to heaven. I like that song. I used to sing it all the time. At First Assembly, I loved it. What a day of rejoicing. And I believe that. But I want to tell you, there's a day of rejoicing right here on this earth. Because what Jesus did on Calvary made this a day of rejoicing. This is the day of the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it because I am living as a citizen of heaven on earth. And that's why Jesus said that he would give us this new and living way through his blood. It's, it's in the book of Hebrews. But more than that, it says the thief comes to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have, Why? might have, Why? where is that at? On earth. You know, there's a part of the church that's rocking in their chair waiting till we get to heaven talking about people who aren't doing it right. I would not want to be one of those people. I have learned when God says, you know, we're not to talk about his people. Don't talk about them. Like my mother used to say, if you don't have anything good to say, zip it. Because God says good things. Because why? We're his children. And he paid a very high price for us to live that kind of life on earth. And how many of you know if we started saying good things about everybody and building on the strong things in people's lives that we would see people grow and become all they're called to be rather than trying to find all the negative things that people aren't doing right. I don't believe the new covenant has any of that in it. It does not. It does not. Because when God looks at us, he looks through the blood of Jesus. And we are citizens of heaven. Now, foreigners, you know, it it talks about foreigners. And this is what my Bible says. The Christian who is traveling through this world as an alien whose citizenship and ultimate residence is in heaven. In other words, we don't really belong. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good news. That is really good news. We do not belong to the world. We're not like the world. We're not of the world. And this is the, this is the most exciting thing of all. It says in John 14, and I'm going to close with this tonight. It says in verse 21. Now, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's just about to depart for heaven. And, and he says, um, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. And at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments, this is a scripture I want you to hear, and keeps them. It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and, and, and manifest myself to him. That manifest is to cause to shine. What was Moses' face like when he was in the presence of God? It would shine. His his presence would manifest on the inside of us. To appear, to come into view, to exhibit, to make visible, to present oneself to the sight of another, to be conspicuous, to declare, to make known. The one thing, the one thing that Moses wanted from God, he could not have, but we have. We can know him face 
to face. Isn't that amazing? And Moses was the man who went through all of that for those people. But because God sent Jesus, we're the ones who get to live in the the very presence of a living God. The glory of the Lord. The Bible says that the glory of the Lord will be manifested in the earth. You know, the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of a living God. I believe that's going to happen when the church gets a revelation of who God has made us to be. And I want you to stand tonight. I want to pray for you tonight that every one of us, as we enter this Easter season, as we go into Easter, that we will really know the manifested presence of God in our life, that we will recognize the manifested presence of a living God. How many of you have had opportunity in your life where you just know, you just know that God is, was right there? I mean, he was just right there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank God. I believe God wants us to live that way every day. Every day. That's, that's what Calvary accomplished for us. I think that, you know, we get busy about our day and we get to live in our day the way we just go about our day. And it's just a kind of a rote thing. But we have the, we have the privilege. Everybody say privilege of his presence. Just close your eyes for a minute. Lord, I thank you for every person here tonight. Lord, I thank you that, that every one of us will uh, take advantage of what you have given us. I believe it blesses you when we seek your face. I believe it blesses you when we draw near to you and, and we put our confidence in what you've done through Calvary. And I pray for every person here, especially if you're here tonight and you feel like um, you don't really deserve to be in God's presence. Maybe there's things in your life that have happened, situations or circumstances, and, and you feel like, you know, really, this wouldn't apply to me because of where I've been living. But once you receive Jesus Christ, he's the one who will clean you up by his spirit. He's not looking for you to come to him clean. That, that's something he'll do through his blood, through his mercy, through his grace. But he is reaching out his hand to everyone here in this room, to the world. He has something that only he can give. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for every situation, for every circumstance. Maybe you're here tonight. You've never said yes to Jesus. I was in church all my life. And I didn't say yes to Jesus till I was 26, 28. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, but you've never really said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. If that's you tonight and you're here, maybe you're visiting. Or maybe you've been coming for a while. You've just never really felt to do that. I just want to make sure nobody leaves here without knowing Jesus. Is there anybody here? Would you raise your hand if that's you? Thank you, Jesus. If you're here tonight and you've known the Lord and you will kind of walk with him sometimes and then not with him some of the time. And tonight you say, I want to just, I want to make everything right with the Lord. I don't want to leave here tonight without making everything right. If that's you, just lift your hand. I want to pray for you right where you are tonight. 
you know the Lord, but you know you need to fix some things. You know you make some things right. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, let's just all pray this together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for my sins. I am grateful for Calvary. Thank you for changing me, forgiving me, walking with me, teaching me by your Holy Spirit. I am thankful. And I ask you, Lord, that I would know you, that I would see you face to face, not just hear your voice, but know you in a way that would cause me to walk with confidence, that would cause me to speak with boldness, that would cause me to walk in hope, knowing that my future is secured in what happened at Calvary, and that my day today and my day tomorrow and the day after that are secure because I am with you. And that you will cover me if I need to be covered. Lord, I believe that in Jesus' name. I thank you right now. I thank you right now. I, I, I heard when I saw the scripture, when you said to Moses, I'm going to pass by you, but I'll put my hand over you to cover you as I go by to protect him. And I thank you for your covering over every person in this church tonight. As they leave here, I thank you that the angels of the Lord are encamped around every person here. I thank you, Lord, that every need is met according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If you're here and you need healing in your body before we go, would you lift your hand? Because we want to pray for you over here, Mike, over here.